0: breaker one nine this here's a rubber duck you got a copy on me big Ben? come on oh yeah 10-4 big pen for sure for sure by golly it's clean clear to flag town come on yeah it's a big 10-4 there big Ben. yeah we definitely got the front door good buddy mercy sakes alive looks like we've got us a convoy Good afternoon, evening, welcome back wherever you are. My name's Martin Don and I'm bringing you another epicast of Range Anxiety. 30 years of 30, (laughs) 30 years of tuning experience in 30 minutes a couple of times a week. And how was that for a little bit of a stuff up at the start? But you know, I don't care. I'm going to let it go because today I'm a little bit incensed. And today I'll need to get it off my chest. If you were listening to the start of this epicast, you would have heard those of you that are old enough, you know, fans of mine, you probably are all old, otherwise you'd have something better to do than listen to this. You heard Convoy, that great American trucking movie from the past and the track by C.W. McColl. Looks like we got ourselves a convoy. Because today we're going to talk all things diesel. That's right smelly, dirty, horrible, smoke-belching diesels that really we should only ever rely upon for heavy transport and the convoy and the trucking gangs because they're the only ones, in my opinion, that really need them. Oh, shock horror. Yep, I tune a lot of diesels. Yep, I've been working around diesel for a long time. But that thin edge of the wedge when it comes to these things is starting to get that little bit thinner what am i talking about well once upon a time in the 90s up until the late 90s diesels were fit for purpose as i call them they were primarily low revving or they're all low revving due to their combustion process actually low revving sluggers that didn't make much power but made good torque at low rpm and could trundle away slowly and reasonably efficiently for many many years so they served a purpose as a workhorse well my haven't times changed and not for the better you see today's modern turbo diesel with very few exceptions is nothing more than a ticking time bomb. That's right. You get yourself a current common rail diesel and you so much as blink it the wrong way, you're gonna end up with a big repair bill for an engine that essentially underperforms. So why have things changed so much? Well, there's two reasons. The first, Uh, of these reasons is because emission rules have got much, much tighter. Don't blame people like me and EVs for this. This has been going on for years and years and years that diesel particulates have been discovered to do all sorts of horrible things to people and your respiratory tract and everything else. Imagine having to work around them in a dyno cell all day, which is why I tend to spend most of my time outside. They are filthy stinking things and they use a very low grade of fuel that should be much cheaper than gasoline or petrol in Australia as we call it. But normally isn't because there's all sorts of political and tax stunts involved with that. And with uh, Biden being in now, one thing he is going to do is clamp down on that diesel market just a little bit. So all the emission controls that have gone on to diesel through the, the euro classes of emission control that have been coming in over the past, oh, I don't know, 15 years now, you know, euro one, two, three, four, five, six, all mandating new standards and levels of exhaust emission that these vehicles cannot go beyond, what that has, has in effect done is strangled the modern common rail diesel engine to the point where they have to run super high injection pressures to try and make them more efficient. They have to run super high turbocharger boost pressure. I don't think you can even buy a normally aspirated diesel anymore. They're that um, unable to make tailpipe emissions. Uh, And you know, with their catalytic converter system or their diesel particulate filter, it is just prone with problems and failures, and in the case of, of some manufacturers like Toyota with their well done class action with the uh, Hilux 2.8, it's it's an ongoing expense. You know, I, I have people come up to me all of the time, friends of friends, and we might be out at a a barbecue and having a few drinks, and it's like, oh, you know, my X Y Z brand European car, it's only done a hundred thousand Ks, and the light came on on the dash, and I've gone back to see the dealer, but because it's five years old, they want $10,000 to replace the DPF. Well, I'm gonna to have to sell this car. I'm gonna to have to give it away for nothing. All the while, the dealers are making a lot of money out of this. I mean, a lot of dealers are also getting screwed quite royally because some of the software controls that are supposed to make the DPFs last just simply do not work. In 2020, this era of cars that can actually drive themselves there are still diesels that have a manual DPF burn button on the dash. It is like stone age. It is stupid and there is no need for us to even have these things in this day and age. Finally, manufacturers are starting to listen but it's just simply being legislated out of production. Now, you can own a diesel car and get good use out of it and good reliability out of it, uh, A, if you're lucky because there is some luck involved and B, if you follow some correct procedures when driving it, short trips kill them because they don't allow the DPF to burn and unblock itself. Um, Also, they don't get to temperature and they tend to pollute the oil with fuel a lot more and you just, I mean, it's not unusual to get your diesel back from a service and an oil change. You pull a dipstick and it's already jet black and stinks. Because they have that much bypass and that much dirty oil trapped in the system. They're horrible. But long drives, frequent servicing with the correct grade oil and general gentle treatment, we'll see a lot of them, particularly the Euro diesels, last a long and happy life. Where it's all gone bad is all of the tradey recreational utilities that we have here in Australia. Um, some of them were unfortunately advertised as being unbreakable from the outset which has empowered a whole new generation of younger people to take these things out every weekend and beat the absolute shit into them bury them up to the roof lining in mud hold them flat out for hours generally disregard them and then they get all confused and upset when the things crap themselves and fail mechanically heavily and expensively you've got to remember most of the tradie utes that we have in australia if not all of them are either built into one of two places either thailand or china that's right you got a ford ranger it's built in thailand you get a nissan navara it's built in thailand i think some used to be spanish you buy your ldv or great wall and they're straight out of china none of these places reek of really high quality bespoke automotive manufacturing, but both of those countries these days are doing a pretty good job. But it's a highly competitive segment where these vehicles are built out of the very cheapest components they can be to just get them through an overly long warranty period. All the warranty periods have been jacked out and and extended so that one vehicle has a better sales advantage in the showroom over another. Yeah, and and it, it is like I said earlier, it is a recipe for disaster. The things do not last, and I see them constantly failed airboxes full of mud, and failed injectors, and it, it's not like a, a a high pressure common rail diesel injector, or a pizza style injector, is not like a normal vehicle fuel injector, where it's a hundred dollars. In a lot of cases, at seven or eight hundred dollars per unit, and then have to be specially coded to the ECU. So there is nothing cheap about owning one of these things long-term. The best advice I could probably give you is buy your tradie utes or your SUV utes. Buy them brand new. Keep them till the warranty's up. Maybe tickle them up with a little bit of a flash tune, which normally can give you really good results. But don't drive them too long and too hard without expecting to be up for a lot of money from time to time and it's going to get to the point or it's already getting there where because of all these emission controls and this inherent overly highly strung nature of the engines that they're becoming quite simply too expensive for the manufacturer to manufacture a and make money out of without cutting more and more corners it's it's not unusual i will get like a two or three year Old, you know, single or twin turbo common rail diesel. you in the thing's been um, lifted by four or five, three or four inches. It's got a full lift kit in it. It's got much bigger wheels on it. It's weighed down with maybe one or one and a half tons worth of tools, toolboxes, and equipment in the back of it. So the thing is basically struggling and overloaded to start with, and then they go and hook up like a two-ton caravan or camper trailer behind it, and once they've done that, and the thing is well overweight for a tiny little four-cylinder engine, they then go and hold the thing flat out up hills for minutes and minutes on end. Oh, why did it go into limp mode? Why did it overheat? Why did it shut down on me? Why did it blow up? Well, all of these things happen because you're using the vehicle outside of actual application. Don't worry about what the manufacturer recommends. They've set these things up, like I said, just to get through the warranty period, made as cheaply and as nastily as it can be, and you will struggle pulling anything with them, really. You you, you know, some of them do a better job than others, and I, but I'm not going to sit here and play favourites. One thing I will say is that, I will mention one of my favourites, but you can't buy it anymore, was the Holden Colorado. That 2.8 Duramax diesel engine was a good slugger, and you could belt some power into it, and in my experience with them, they actually seemed quite reliable, quite a formidable thing, actually, for their size. But once you start getting down to the two litre sort of range in, in a, you know, 18, 1900 kilogram car plus body, plus all of your stuff, you, you're pulling on two and a half thousand kilos with it, you know, 5,000 pounds. Yeah, nah, there are better options out there. Some of the big four wheel drives, there is one in particular Um, that I will mention that is a very popular four-wheel drive in Australia. I'm not going to mention the brand because this is part of an ongoing uh, legal dispute. But because in Australia they didn't put an AdBlue system on them for emission control, they just used a straight DPF setup, and they did it pretty badly, and they substituted an inferior batch of fuel injectors in them, these kings of the road are constantly failing fuel injectors, and lined up around the country for replacements is even a technical service bulletin out about it via the manufacturer. Yet, if you go in there, oh, you've got a catch can on this, or oh, you are flashed to tune into it, you've got no warranty. That's what caused the problem. All the while they know, they know that they've installed faulty components in the vehicle from the factory. So where does it all end? Well, it all ends in about two or three years when diesel will be fully phased out in this country. I think in places like California, it may even be sooner. Uh, I don't know about some of the redneck belt. with the, I mean, the big diesels like the American trucks, they have their place. They're designed to pull a lot of weight. They're not a toy. They're not a kid's toy. And they have their place. But in the smaller bracket, there is nothing you cannot do and there is no amount of weight you will not pull with a decent petrol hybrid setup. With the cost of fuel right now, in Australia at least, gasoline being much cheaper than diesel anyway, the offset in the cost of ownership and running is not that great. And and the offset with the petrol gasoline engine being far more reliable in the long run just makes way way more sense that's why the big nissan y62 patrol in australia has been quite popular because it's a big nasty v8 it's a big high-tech v8 actually and yeah it is quite thirsty but it doesn't suffer a lot of the stupid problems that sideline a lot of these supposedly unbreakable diesels that's why some of the smaller american trucks like the rams and the the f-150s Very good, formidable thing still in a petrol format. And, you know, they aren't that thirsty, particularly the V6 Twin Turbo in the Ford is very efficient and very torque productive. So what I'm explaining here is that we're seeing, other than for the most heavy-duty applications, such as trucking and such as real heavy, you know, 10,000-pound-plus pulling, the diesel will be phased out. I believe there will be like a rabbit hole for the 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 bigger rigs that will be allowed to stay diesel albeit with very tight emission controls on them but our normal stuff will go petrol and it will go petrol hybrid and it will actually mark here's here's my bet mark my words i'm going to go on record as saying this but the petrol hybrid gear is going to be a lot better it's going to last longer go better be far less smelly and get a lot better mileage than the diesel antiquated common rail stuff that is getting tossed in the bin. That's right, you heard it here first. You know, it's, it's nothing unusual to see people just about in tears that the new LC300 Land Cruiser is no longer gonna be a four and a half litre twin turbo diesel. Well, I say good riddance to it. It's done a good job over the years, but there are much better technologies out there now, much, much better technologies. And I believe Toyota, even though I do not agree with the way they do their hybrid vehicles, I don't believe in hybrids at all. I think they're a waste of time, but I still think the LC300, if it has like a twin turbo petrol V6 with hybrid boost, will tow as much and probably tow easier and get better efficiency and be an all round better package than the common rail diesel, that is getting thrown in the bin for it. That's right, I've just said it. Their hybrid utes, I believe there's a hybrid Triton uh, or SUV coming. I'm pretty sure that'll be a good thing. Mitsubishi tend to dabble a bit with hybrid technology. I don't think they've got much of a handle on the full electric stuff. But where is it going to end up? Where is the whole wash-up of the diesel thing going to happen? Well, we've already had a sneak preview, uh, preview with a lot of the vaporware that's being released out there at the moment, released for release in about five years' time, um, such as the Rivian Pickup, the GM's Electric Hummer, and, of course, the crowd-favorite, the Tesla Cybertruck, which will no doubt be the very pinnacle of these devices, at least initially. Yes, it is going to be built. Yes, you can get on the internet right now and have a look at the factory that's building the cybertruck being built itself it normally takes tesla about 12 months to build a factory and they're well into what they call giga austin in texas so the big man himself elon has already said deliveries limited deliveries will be starting in 21 about this time so he's talking limited deliveries in 12 months For a car that the factory's not even built yet. The reason you shouldn't fall on the ground laughing and roll around going, this guy must be smoking too much weed, is because he did exactly the same thing with Giga China. And from turning Earth to having the first car kicked out the door was done in that 12 month period. So this is what they're talking with Austin, Texas, with the Cybertruck plant. It's happening. It's. Definitely happening. The company has staked its entire credibility on this, and there'll be nothing left of them if Musk doesn't turn out this cyber truck. But then the comparisons are going to start coming thick and fast. Oh, I can't drive it more than 20 minutes without it needing a recharge. Bullshit. Oh, it doesn't have the torque of my big turbo diesel truck. Bullshit. It's going to eclipse what we know about high-capacity towing and high-capacity trucks, it's not only going to eclipse that, it's actually going to blow that out of the water and it's going to do it with massive range using the new tabless battery technology and in just, as Forrest Gum would say, just like that, the big diesel trucks will be dinosaurs that should be collected only and used in very limited applications. Cybertruck will redefine this and then you watch all the other manufacturers sprinting for the door trying to get their vaporware out on time yes you heard me vaporware none of these other things exist yet and neither does Cybertruck in production guys however you can go into the peterson museum and see one in los angeles and you can sometimes if you're lucky enough watch elon rocking up the dinner in in beverly hills in one and we've all see, seen seen uh, jay leno drive one The things, I don't know how many, allegedly only one, but I can guarantee you by now to be more than one. These things do exist. So that is our window to the future. And it is a future that's coming within 12 months. Not everyone will be able to afford one of these big monsters straight away. We don't even know if we're getting them in Australia. Luckily, I know someone that brings in US trucks into Australia, so I'll be getting one regardless. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. How I'm going to convert it, well, that remains to be seen because we're right hand drive in Australia, so we may have to do something to move the steering wheel across the other side, but it's very, very easy to do in an electric car because there's none of the conventional bullshit that's involved with converting a petrol or diesel so in the meantime, if you must own a diesel, know that eventually it's got it's not it's not going to be like a petrol performance car that's going to skyrocket in value when they cut them off. These things, no one's going to want to know about them. So don't over-invest in them. Don't spend too much money buying one of these things because unless you're going to use it and drive it into the ground in the next three or four years or intend never to sell it, and once they pull the pin on these things, the price of diesel is going to go through the roof. Sure, that's going to upset the trucking community, but maybe not too much because you and I will be the ones paying for it when we have our goods and our food dropped off and picked up, and we'll be paying for it, it's just in general freight. So, while it might have short term pain for the trucking industry, the long term pain will be ours with the diesel game. Is it better than, you know, allowing companies to run amok with their diesels like Volkswagen allegedly did with the Dieselgate scam or crisis? Well, I'm gonna get on to Dieselgate in a later episode because I do know a little bit about it and I have had a look through some of the software involved and it is quite interesting. But essentially, Volkswagen didn't break the law as such. They interpreted the rules in a different way, which then was interpreted in a court of law as breaking the law. That's probably the nicest way of putting it. They passed the emissions test. They just showed, well... They just chose to allow the car to identify when it was undergoing an emissions test. So it said it's emissions correct for the test. No one said you couldn't do that. But as soon as you're out on the road, ran in a better state for the actual engine and its longevity. Uh, so, you know, people people were rushing to get their dieselgate cars, the software, so that they comply. And, you know, oh, I must be, oh, my Volkswagen's going to be worth nothing. Well, no, actually the cool ones are the ones that have the dieselgate software in them. I did, however, I did undertake a dyno test for a client on a Golf diesel that was part of the Dieselgate scam. And he was very skeptical that when he went back for his software downgrade, it was going to rob the car of a heap of power. So we dyno tested the car first. He went back in for his Dieselgate software fix. And we dyno tested the car afterwards, and the power was within half a horsepower. There was there was no real downgrade, but I'm sure there were some other things that have gone on there too that that wouldn't be as good for the overall reliability of the vehicle, and that's something you've got to keep in mind if if you're a long-term owner. Is it worthwhile just nailing Volkswagen to the wall over this one? Hmm, might have to ask our friends at QAnon with their conspiracy theories about this one, but I can I can bet you anything you want the Volkswagen were not the only company interpreting the rules their own way and there's been a lot of fancy footwork from other manufacturers when your car goes in for service since updating and changing software versions so that they don't suffer the same fate and the same horrendous financial fines that were leveraged on the Volkswagen Audi group so yeah that's our show for today but that time is coming ladies and gentlemen yeah the julian versus nick specials coming up and so is paul house on versus martin Donnan so there are going to be some exciting epic cars coming up really soon and from here on in we're going to start moving into a more comedic guys again i just thought i'd have to get that off my chest today about what horrible things some modern turbo diesels can be hope you enjoyed it thank you for tuning in and listening to range anxiety